What is going on, everyone? That you know, I got so and so in stereo podcast is back. Look who we have again. We have Ed and we have Tom as well, and we have, of course, myself. We are the podcast team, and guys, welcome back. I am happy to be back. I am glad that you two alone didn't destroy all of R&B in my absence, so good for you. I trained you well. I don't know if you listened to the last two podcasts, but we kind of debated where you were during your time off, uh, and we came to the conclusion you went on a a retreat and you were alone in the wilderness for two weeks. That's all we could figure (laughs) out. I am not the camping type unless I'm going to be camping out there with my three piece and my bag of Sour Patch Kids. <laughs> I was in the motherland of Virginia enjoying my Slurpees and seeing my family and hitting up the beach. So shout out to all my VA people. I had a ball. I'll be back in a few months. But I always got to come through and see the fam. So you went to Virginia and the number one thing on your list to do there was get a Slurpee? Yes. Let me tell you why. Because you... <laughs> New Yorkers are very spoiled. For some reason, I have lived in three places in my life. I have lived in Virginia, I have lived in Kentucky for about almost a decade, and now I'm in Birmingham. Kentucky and Birmingham do not have 7-Elevens, and I have looked this up. The closest 7-Eleven is 300 miles away. So you guys are spoiled, because it gets hot, you're just like, oh, let me just hit up 7-Eleven, get this Slurpee. Oh, it's Slurpee, free Slurpee day. Let me bring a giant bucket and fill it up. But, oh, no, this player has to go to South Carolina if I want a Slurpee. <laughs> so when I hit VA, I am all Slurpee all the time. That's impressive, yet sad at the same time. But, Ed, I have more good news for you. Not only do you have a Slurpee, um, one of our previous podcasts, I'm not sure if you had a chance to listen to it, but we, uh, we asked the fans if uh, you should stay on the podcast just because of your controversial Hall of Fame uh, nominations and inductions, and we were asking them if we should replace you with Barry, and it was a consensus no. So welcome back to the team. <laughs> Shout out Poor to Barry. Barry. I mean, my only competition was Barry. Could I could get some like stiffer competition? Oh, Shout out oh, to come Barry. on, man, that's our boy. <laughs> come on, that's no, our boy. Bear's my... no Barry's my dog, and he's a VA dude too, so he knows what's up. But come on, Barry. <laughs> Uh, let's talk about some current R&B, guys. I didn't even talk about it with you guys off the air, but I'm proud to announce, guys, um, Hall of Fame nominee Ashanti has completed her album, and it will be coming out relatively soon. Thoughts? So, before we talk about that, so we're doing, like, the Grammys now, where if we nominate someone, they get to use that. Even if they didn't make it, they still get to announce themselves with... R&B Hall of Fame nominee. Apparently yep. for Ashanti, since <laughs> that's about as high as she's getting these days. Wow. Now, is this going to be one of those Beyonce visual albums where she's just taking Instagram steals? Because if we're doing that, we might hit five stars. But if we got to listen to this joint, I can save all my stars for that Marsha album. Oh, Ed, I was, I was on her... I was... Viewing her Snapchat, she said there's about 10 to 12 songs with amazing features. I don't know what that means. But apparently the first uh, single and the music video, it's, it's been shot already and we're about to get it. So we're about to change the game, Ed. And Tom. Oh, we're about to get it all right. I'm about to get a whole lot of mad stands in my, in my Twitter feed. That's what I'm about to get. 
But in all of seriousness, Tom, her last album, Braveheart, actually did pretty well independently, all things considered. And I, I don't know if she liked could, yeah. some of it, too. Yeah. I liked the majority yeah. of it. Yeah, it wasn't too trappy. I mean, there were a couple of trappy songs on there, but, I mean, for what it was, it, it did pretty well. And who knows what happens, um, you know, moving forward. I think Irv Gotti relaunched Murder, Inc., like, the other day, and uh, he has a show on BET, so who knows? Maybe it'll be 2002 again. Uh, no. <laughs> and y'all like the Braveheart album? My gosh. That, and I've said this a thousand <laughs> times before. The, the Not Beyonce. The Ashanti album that I liked was The Declaration. That album was pretty okay. But the Braveheart, when she's dressed like in the little blue thing with the halo, looking like a half-transformer? Uh-uh. Oh, what does the album cover have to do with the music? Come on, you can tell a lot from an album cover player. Jeez, I'm about to look up some might... horrible album covers that actually were good CDs. That's actually a great topic. Hey, you remember that what? Silk album? They look like they printed the CD in their home computer and burned it. Remember that? <laughs> and that was actually oh pretty good. Gosh. It was actually pretty good. Uh, um, it was not pretty good. Now, I mean, if we want to hear some good Silk albums, I want to throw you back to the debut. I want to throw you back to tonight. My, this has always been my hypothesis. If you look at an R&B album and a bunch of dudes are hanging on the walls, if they're just leaning against the wall, you know that album's fire. So if you <laughs> see some brothers leaning on the wall, that is fire. Go look at that Silk Tonight album cover. Go look at LSG's first album cover. Brothers leaning on the wall. It's heat. What about um, the Jagged Edge album cover where they're leaning on a car or something? The one they lean on a piano? Oh no, you're talking about hard, not um, yeah. But both of those, yep. If listen, if the brothers are leaning, the album is fire. (laughs) (laughs) This is your takeaway for today. Wow, wow. But if Ashanti is dressed like Sailor Moon, no. (laughs) Sailor Moon, wow. All right, well. Another new album is set to come out in October. You guys will be excited about this one, 112. They're pushing forward with that reunion. Apparently, it's coming out in October. Uh, man, are you guys excited about this? Because I'll, I'll be honest, I'm personally not very excited about it. But I know Ed, Tom, you guys are both huge 112 fans. Why aren't so. you excited about it? I don't know, man. It's Here's my thing. I think Jack... <laughs> Between Jagged Edge, Drew Hill, and 112, I think in terms of Urban AC and charting there, I think 112 will have the least amount of success over there. Just because, I don't know, it, Jagged Edge can at least do that ballad that could work on Urban AC. What, what was the last 112 ballad that really, really worked? But are we talking I mean, I know about they put- the success level, or are we talking about the quality of the music? Well, yeah, that's my question. That's, well, yeah, but what was, okay, well, Pleasure and Pain was okay, but, I don't know. That was over 12 years ago. Yeah. I I mean, I... Good lord, it has been that long. I see your point, it's almost like, I know, I'm going to be disappointed, I feel like I know they're going to try something young. Like, I I just know it's coming, and it's like, we can't avoid it. It's not going to be Vintage 112, I, I doubt it, so... That's my, and I think I'd feel better if I had liked all of their solo projects 
Exactly. Like Q's, I thought that was cool. The Ron's, I couldn't really get into, and Mike, I didn't really hear his. But in Slim's, I thought was just solid, so uh, I don't know. Well, I I mean, I can't beat up Kyle too much if we're talking about just actual content and not actual kind of success levels. Because just being honest, even though 112 has put out some of the best albums in the past 20 years in R&B, and I'll fight that to my grave, the more recent releases have been shaky. And as Tom just said, even the kind of solo projects have just been all right. There hasn't been a standout solo project. The one I probably liked the most was... Slims, and that was again solid, but not anything ground shaking. So, and and you just know that One Twelve has always been one of those groups that kind of like took the current sound and rolled with that, and kind of sprinkled a little bit of their own kind of personal influences into the music. So it would not surprise me to hear them over trap or whatever the current sound is. So, kind of got to brace yourself for that. But I just am such a fan that I'm holding out hope. And again, I won't compare this to the first three albums because that's unfair to them. But I'm just holding out hope for the best player. I'm being positive here. Now I'm with you, man. I actually had the opportunity to hear a couple of the songs they were working on. And one of the songs they were considering for a single sounded really like Vintage 112. So I'm hoping they still have that in the arsenal and they're going to go that direction. But we're just gonna have to see. But I'm, I'm, man. It's been like I said, twelve years. I was a DJ. I mean, I was a. What am I saying, DJ? I was a one twelve fan. So, I'm, I'm excited, man. So, let's get it. Yeah. I mean, if it's anything to the quality of what Jagged Edge did with the J.E. Heartbreak Two album, I'll be pretty happy. But I don't know, fellas. I'm well, I know if about it's you to that level, I'll be excited. See, Kyle, the thing I know about you is the, the first thing you're going to look for is who produced it. Yeah, and I absolutely. think that's going to be important. That will be important, No, too. it will be. And, and let me just tell you this, and I forgot to bring this up earlier. Another reason why I'm not very excited, and I would love to hear your guys' take on this, is I know they've been asking people on Instagram to submit their music to 112 so that they can, you know, record it. That never really works out too well. I think Boys to Men did that on their last project, and... Most of the songs on there, whew, not oh, very good. Oh, Lord. Oh, player. Let's not talk about that album. Wait, they actually did that? No, 112 is actually doing that? Yeah. Uh, doesn't that just seem like desperation, though? Well, I understand it because it's kind of like, you know, you get their involvement in it and it builds buzz and it's kind of like what marketers are doing now with influencers and getting the buzz out in the community by having people actually contribute to it. Uh, but I don't, it just doesn't work for this medium. Well, I mean, I see the point as well because you never know who's out there and who's talented with the hottest music. So, you know, maybe there's something out there that is the quality of what you know it was back in the 90s but i mean just to be honest i mean to be honest a lot of these producers are just on their macbooks in their room on fruity loops so and you think they're just you think they're just lurking on instagram on 112's profile waiting for something to pop up like that Again, like, to be fair, I will, like, who was the artist that produced, like, the Rihanna song, who was just kind of, like, just somebody that was just an up-and-coming producer, and I'm blanking on the song, and the song ended up being huge. So, 
it can happen, but it's just a shot in the dark. And you, I don't know if it's worth a huge comeback album relying so much on, oh, we're going to get the fans involved, blah, blah, blah. It sounds great on paper, but you open yourself up to have a lot of terrible sounding stuff. Well, I think the, the way think the, for it to the, be effective... Oh, well, sorry to cut you off, Tom, take, but... Uh, go ahead, Kyle. I was going to say, the only way that that can be effective is if the artist who's receiving all this music has their ear to the streets and knows what's, what's current and what's trendy and what's hot at the time. And, I mean, let's be honest, a lot of these artists who are accepting the music from the 90s, they don't know what's going on in today's music industry. And they shouldn't, because that's music for the 20-year-olds. Right. I was going to say, I think the successful formula would be our boy uh, Bam, who did uh, a lot of Mary's last album and a lot of other good stuff. Uh, obviously, our boy DJ Camper, who has a magic touch right now. Even I'd love to see, we always talk about this guy. Um, what's his, oh, Warren Campbell, one of, one of my favorites. Yep. If you have those three in the mix, I feel like those three are on the pulse of, of R&B right now and what's what's pretty good. And then, I mean, they're not going to bring Diddy back in the mix, obviously. It's just not going to happen. But even like, maybe even some of the... Diddy back. Yeah. <laughs> but even if you tap into some of the bad boy um, hitmen producers from back in the day, that could work. Yep. I mean, they're all still around. I, I mean, that's a great point. I think Camper is perfect because he is one of the few who is able to capture the younger, youthful current mainstream sound but still keep it R&B and make it sound authentic to the artist look at Mary's album because those a lot of those beats sound fresh but it still sounds like a Mary song and it's not so much her rapping over a Drake beat so to speak he would be perfect for that project you know what I realized though I was listening to the Let Us See song again the other day and I'm under the belief that that was a leftover off Mary's last album. The more I listen to it. And I hadn't, the last podcast I was on, we were discussing that, and I hadn't heard the song at the time, and I have since heard it. And, you know, it's not that bad. It's actually kind of growing on me. It's a completely different sound for her, but I kind of agree with Kyle. It sounds like, it sounds more like a song for another artist. Maybe it's Mary, maybe it's someone else. But she does okay kind of making it her own. I'm not too mad at it. It's all and good. And uh, t- Tom made an apology <laughs> tour last week on that song. So, <laughs> well, I got to go back and listen to this. Listen, it wasn't a full apology. It was a partial apology for jumping to, two, to the conclusions too quickly. But, yeah. uh, I mean, that's the thing I think that struck me about it was that what you said, Ed, it sounds like a, a song for another artist, and I wasn't expecting that right. from Lettucey. And I just expect a different style from her, and I just felt it was a little below her. But, like you, it's grown on me a bit. So, I don't know if I'll have it in my top 50 songs of the year, but, you know, I can live with yeah, it. I'll, yeah, I don't know if I go that far, at least right now, but it's not bad. Different sound. We'll see how the album does. But that's the thing. See, for me... It's like if Lettucey comes with a single for the first time in a few years, I'm expecting greatness. I'm expecting a top ten song of the year. I get maybe that's why I was a little disappointed too. Well, it's all good, guys, because I mean, music is for everyone. You have Stokely, you know, making trendy current music with Wally now, and you have Bryson Tiller making '90s R&B music. Ed, what was <laughs> what was what you said about um, Bryson Tiller? He like sampled '90s artists, but he didn't like. 
acquire the skills. Listen, player, let me tell you about this Bryson Silly. <laughs> oh, so no. go on and just take a take a deep seat if you haven't already while you're listening to this podcast. I got some stuff to say. Because when Bryson came out, everyone was on my timeline, first of all, saying, when are you going to review this? Like I'm going to spend an hour of my life listening to that album. But I did because it's always, I can't diss an album, and I tell this to everybody. Don't diss something if you haven't heard it. So if you haven't heard it, you can't have an opinion on it. Well, I heard it, and I've got an opinion on it. It's so crazy to me that an artist can take so many 90 sounds. I'm listening to this album. I'm like, that's Marsha's song, or that's Mary's song, or that's Changing Faces. And these are the obscure songs. These aren't really songs that were like number one hits, but they're songs that R&B fans will know the second the beat drops. Yep, so he that, knows uh, enough. Yeah, that was that tweet song, My Place. That's a sample, too. Yes, he had the tweet song. And I'm like, how can you know these 90s and 2000s great, great artists, yet acquire none of their skills when you do this? It's like when you play Mortal Kombat and you get Shang Tsung and you start using other people's powers and stuff. It's like he's turning into the artist, but he's still using the whack Shang Tsung powers. He don't have a Luke Cage fireball. Player, if you're going to steal the songs, at least acquire what they're doing. Put some artistry behind it. The problem with this Bryson Tiller album and all of the artists like that is that they are using the beats, but then they're just talking over it. And I know we always say, oh, that song is terrible. I can make that song. Player, I literally could have made this album because it's 99% production. And if you're vibing to the beats and tuning out what dude said because dude is saying nothing of substance... That's the problem. So y'all have fun with this album. I will go back and listen to My Place and Fooling Around and all the real songs from these artists while this dude just mumbles over the chopped up beats. It is whackness. Oof. Wow. Um, now back to Stokely. Wally and Stokely on a track. I was looking forward to this one. I was like, man. Because Wally is one of the few rap artist in the game today that still has his pulse on R&B and always brings out the best of them. I listen to this song and I think it's worse than the Lettucey song in terms of its Oh, tracking. it is. Listen, play, it is nowhere. As I said, I like the Lettucey song okay. This song, and again, forgive me, I love Stokely, one of my favorites from the night, is I ain't feeling this one at all. Again, because it takes him out of his element and drops him into something that does not a fit for his voice and sound. Everybody can't do trap. That's okay. Like it's it's okay if you want to use the beat and you want to incorporate some of what makes you you into it. But it's just not working. You singing over this stuff sounds like two songs slapped together. It's like instead of a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, you got a peanut butter and motor oil sandwich. The mess don't work, player. Keep them separate. I mean. I don't know if you guys realize this, but Stokely is about to be 50 years old. And he's kind of emulating music of the 20-year-olds. It just doesn't uh, sit well with me. Because this is one of our living no. legends. Yes, and I, but I, it's a frustrating time for an artist. Because I understand. You put out this project. Stokely is... We've been wanting a solo album from this guy since 1995 or 93 or whenever. It's been the early 90s since this has been the talk. And he's finally going to do it. But he wants to make some money. And the only way to make money these days is to penetrate 
mainstream radio. And the only way to do that is to sound like Bryson Tiller, because that's the only thing y'all spending money on, apparently. So that's why we get abominations like this song. And it just does not work. You can put Wale on it. You can put the ghost of Biggie on it. You can put the ghost of Tupac on it. Nobody's going to help this song sound better. I think why I was so disappointed was because, like Kyle was saying, Wale has had some great R&B collaborations. I think one of our favorites recently was the song he had with Usher and how he brought out that classic Usher, and we were just so excited about it, and then we were hoping for something like that here. Even the songs on Wale's album with Stokely in it were pretty good. So it's like, damn, this yeah. is how, how do we get here? But again, those songs that you're talking about was before the trap explosion. That was a couple years ago. Like now, this is the game tie-in. This is this is the landscape we are in. And unfortunately, everybody. I mean, when you got my girl Missy, my girl Missy has decided to do it. The person who is known for being an innovator in every way, when even she has to bow to the mighty altar of trap. We didn't gotten way off track. Speaking of Wale, I listened to his album the other day, and that album was not very good either. I have not yet heard that album. That's that one and Molly are the two that I have still not have caught back up on fully, and I have not heard good things about the Wale album. But I'll report Talk. back with my official findings. Well, until then, we got a couple more albums that are set to come out um, later this month. We have her. Uh, or Gabby Wilson she's coming out next week we'll definitely talk about that as it comes out she's already put out three songs I think there's like another three to be released on this EP and then we have TLC at the end of the month and again we'll talk about that later on because I think we've kind of beat that one to death already Um, a new song came out by someone and you know it's interesting a couple of podcasts ago we were talking about how R&B needed a Kendrick Lamar or we were missing that savior and we didn't really bring up this artist, but Janae Eichel put out a new music video last week. And didn't she kind of have a shot? Because I feel like it's she doesn't have that. It's gone for her, but she had a chance. Mm, I was never too... I wasn't... I didn't have my seatbelt buckled on the Janae bandwagon, really. Like, there was a lot of potential there, but I saw a lot of hype, too. Like, she looked like she could be the person, but it was just something that didn't quite pull me in to be really like, okay, this is the next person. Even though the hype, if you listen to Twitter, she was the next. But I just wasn't feeling it. And when I heard the album, the album was okay. Wasn't anything that special. And then she started eating the booty like groceries and... Things went all downhill. So I haven't heard this new song again. I'm still catching up. So I don't know if it's any good or not. But she still has time to catch up. But I don't know if she's gotten off track. I don't know if you can I, recover from the booty. It, but the, the thing was, she followed up the booty song with or the collaboration. And then she had that other song. like What was it called? Maniac or something? Yep. yep. I remember that, was- that one I heard. Oh man, that was bad. But uh, <laughs> I I remember when she was coming out, if you, not coming out, but put the sold out project out. People were talking about her, like even people I didn't expect were talking about her and excited. So I feel like she did have a shot, like Kyle was saying. It's just she just didn't. I mean, if you realize it, like that's not for everyone. Everyone doesn't want to take over a genre and you know, right? Be a presence. She kind of faded back into the background a bit before collaborating 
collaborating with Big Sean, which really didn't help her cause at all here. But you know, I mean, she may have had a shot. I just she just didn't seem to be all over the place at the time. It just it was just the music making the impact. I will yeah, I say can. this about the the Big Sean collaboration because I know a lot of R and B fans are like, eh. But from a business pants standpoint, it made sense. I if you follow Soul and Stereo, you know my thoughts on Medium Sean. So I won't. I'll save Medium that for Sean. that site. But as far as kind of notoriety and visibility, he's one of the most kind of visible rappers in the game right now. And to ride that train was not a bad move. And the little whatever it was EP they had was okay for him. She was the one doing the heavy lifting. So again, I wasn't mad at that. But it seems like she just needs to find a role. She was doing the soul thing. And she was doing the hip hop thing. And she was doing the booty thing. And she's just got to find her. And I think that she's kind of struggling to find a lane. Yep, fair enough. Oh, and I forgot to mention before we move on, I don't think any of us have really dived deep into the album yet, but SZA, who's on Kendrick's label, uh, she put out her debut album on RCA two days ago. Um, I don't think any of us have listened to it yet, so we'll probably talk about that another time, but those are oh, some no, of the Oh no, I've new... heard the album in full, actually. And? Because I think Twitter's going nuts over that album. They, Twitter goes nuts over a lot of things, player. But I have heard the album. I do like the album. I think it's pretty good. I was talking to Kyle about it a couple of days ago, and people were kind of like trying to figure out where it stands and one thing that i said it was kind of like kind of picture it's kind of like a bridge between the original frank ocean album that was sound that had a definite r&b sound and the more recent frank ocean album which had a definite pop sound and i feel like her album sort of in the middle where it has the pop and hip-hop influence but it's also got the r&b influence so it's pretty solid but Certainly not album of the year talk like you're hearing on Instagram and and the Twitter. So check it out yourself. But I thought it was a pretty good debut release, but not a monster release. Tom, are you still there? What? You want me to comment on it? Oh, sorry. I thought you got bored to death with our uh, (laughs) non-R&B topics. (laughs) I am kind of bored. He's over there eating his... Oh come on, Ed! And we're not even into the food discussion yet, <laughs> which we did. We did bring back while you were gone, by the way. Oh, you brought it back. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> but can I tell you why I'm bored, Kyle? Tell me. There was not one new song released last week that we could cover on the site. Besides a couple of videos, there might have been one song. Dude, I'm so bored That's with the this year. It's just like no one's doing anything. Yeah, when I came back from out of town, of course, I hit up, you know, I got soul to see, you know, what songs I missed. And I didn't really see that many. And I was like, did they go on vacation, too? Or did <laughs> nothing come out? I'm over but here man. waiting. We're here waiting, mm-hmm. but we don't have much to talk about. It's sad. Well, I'll be honest with you guys. I was in the car earlier today. And, you know, immediately I recognized a DJ Mustard beat. And I was like, yeah, this, no. this beat's kind of kind of banging right now. And then I was like, what the hell is this? And I look, it's some member of One Direction with Ed's favorite artist, Quavo. And, oh. I mean, it sort of sounds like an R&B song, but this guy is like a boy band, you know, and a boy band member from, like, the UK. And I know Justin Timberlake 
you know, linked up with hip hop producers as well. But where do we kind of draw the line? Is this guy a culture vulture? Ed, please explain what this is, because what the heck is a culture vulture? Clay, can I explain what a culture vulture is before y'all start reading all these garbage think pieces and the, and this raggedy blogger that tries to tell you what a culture vulture is? A culture vulture is someone who intentionally takes the culture of another person for their own gain. And that is something that we hear a lot of in both hip-hop and R&B. And most of the time, the term is grossly misused. Because it's a term I take seriously. And people love to throw it around. I've heard Adele called a culture vulture because she sounds R&B. I've heard John B. I've heard Robin Thicke. I've heard Justin Timberlake because these are white guys singing our music. That's not what a culture vulture is. You want to see a culture vulture? You Google and you want the image to come up? Look up Miley freaking Cyrus. And let me tell you why. Because this is a girl who, again, I have no problem with One Direction dude singing R&B because our R&B people don't even want to sing R&B. So if you want to do that, cool. If Bruno wants to sing it and make a better album than Bryson Tiller, good. I do not care about your race. And I don't care that you're using the music correctly. That's cool. So all those One one Direction people, y'all have fun. But the issue is when people use the culture for their game. So remember when Miley had the, the fronts on and the grill and she had the nails done up and she was twerking and people acted like she invented twerking? Like, 3-6 Mafia won't twerk in 10 years before that. But when you use that to build a brand around or a sound around or an image around, and then all of a sudden now it's like, oh, I don't want to do that anymore. I'm wholesome, Miley. I have grown up. And you're suddenly going back to the old way. So that sound is just a phase. And you use the culture to just further your current project. You, miss are a cultural vulture. Not One Direction, not Adele, not none of those. So don't label them. Label her. Iggy Azalea's one, too. Wow. Well, Tom, um, I got a little pop quiz for you. Ed, you can join in on this since we're talking about so many white people here. (laughs) You guys remember the R&B group, R&B slash pop group, All for One? Yeah. Of course. They had a random white guy in the group. Two questions. What is his name and what did he do? What is his... I, I can't name I have any no members idea of the whole what group. His name is. Can Me neither. I can't... <laughs> Who is... Like, can anybody name all for one that's not related to them? <laughs> uh, well, apparently the guy's name is Tony and he has a whole Wikipedia page about him. And... The, the the thread is what does the white guy in offer one do? <laughs> this is actually kind of brilliant. No it idea. <laughs> uh, so yeah, culture vultures. This is the most now, informative podcast in the world. You not only learned what a culture vulture was, now you learn the white dude from all for one. Just well, breaking but, all kind of gems in your dome today. Well, let's get back to some R&B when we talk about education, guys. Tom, like I told you last week, I read up on L.A. Reid's book, so I'm pretty much the master of LaFace Records. I know everything about them. I know everything about the early 90s. Ed, I'm about oh, to make please. a bold statement. Hold me back. I quickly looked on soulandstereo.com to check out what your thoughts on it. I'm going to put it out there. 
Tony Braxton's second album is better than her first. Fight me on this one. Oh, you you fitting to um, get hurt. I had to break out of fitting. I went really <laughs> southern on you right there. But I, I mean, honestly, I can't hate. That album is really great. It's like really close. But to me, no. The first album is a definite five star. It's hard for me to argue against the second one, though. It's very good. Wow, there was not a lot of resistance there. <laughs> no, I mean, it's really close. Now, if you said the third album was her best album, then you catch in these hands. That hurt. Eh. Well, first of the, all, my apologies. Hall of Fame, Hall of Famer Tony Braxton, is that what we're calling her? There now? you go. Yes, that's what we're calling her now. How does that make you feel, Tom? <sighs> but we all agreed unanimously on that one, right? I think so, yeah, we did. Yeah, so, we did. There was just a little hesitation. Okay. I think I just I just named some things negative about her just because. But but now looking back and seeing how Destiny's Child got in and some others, I'm going to have to reconsider. Oh, here we go. Calm down, calm down. <laughs> we'll, we'll get into the Hall of Fame discussion later, but I wanted to make my second point. Actually, I don't really have a point. I have a question for you guys because we always talk about producers as well. We've never really touched up on the early 90s producers, so I pose this question to you guys. Best producer mm-hmm. in the early 90s, is it Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis, is it Babyface and L.A. Reid, or is it Teddy Riley? Ooh. Oh, man. Is this just R&D? Yeah, if we're yeah. just remember, doing Babyface R&D. reached into pop and everything, so. And Jimmy Jam and Terry... I mean, once they got a hold of Janet, that kind of... I mean, I guess it depends on kind of the um, time frame we're doing. But a lot of Janet stuff was heavily pop as well. I want to say Teddy, but that might be my Keith bias coming out. But, oh, that's a tough one, player. I can't even... Yeah, I can't even. (laughs) That is a tough one. Well, yeah, that is a tough one. We, well, we can't downplay Teddy Riley's impact either because over in Switzerland, DJ Soulchild is still rocking to that music. You uh, know it. <laughs> that's a tough one. Cause uh, wait a second. Wait a, speaking of that, Ed, you missed something very important when you were gone. Oh, boy. What did I miss? Is Christopher Williams an R&B legend? Is Christmas the dude from New Jack City an R&B legend? Listen, I love Christopher Williams, but player, stop. Okay, just checking. It's like that would be like calling Donnell Jones an R&B legend. We like him, and he has great songs, but please bring reel it in now, reel it in. So, second part, second part (laughs) of that question, because Kyle made me think of this, because he actually found a Christopher Williams fan. So. If you disagree with <laughs> he someone, actually found <laughs> no, like someone said, he asked someone, "What do you listen to?" And that was the first thing out of their mouth. But seriously, if, is this a diss, right? If you if someone disagreed with your music choice, can you say, "Well, what do you even listen to?" Christopher Williams is that considered a diss? <laughs> yes, it's considered a diss when it's phrased like that. <laughs> but no, Christopher Williams is fine. Stop hating on Christopher Williams. He had a couple joints. Literally a couple, but he had a couple joints. Isn't he a vocal beast? Yeah, he is very underrated. In his wow. heyday. Now, I haven't heard him in 2017. So, power wow. to your friend, Kyle. Power to my friend. Um, 
back back onto this LaFay's on back into this LaFay's discussion, guys. What is your favorite song from that era of LaFay's? And I mean, eventually they split off and did their own thing. But Ed, as you can tell me, and Tom, there was that run that they had in the early '90s where they just took over R&B, didn't they? Oh my goodness, player! I remember as random as this sounds. I remember them having like a Christmas album, and the Christmas album was off the chain. Who has a Christmas album that's off the chain? And I think that's the album that had the classic TLC Sleigh Ride song on it. So. Yes, player. They when they were hot, they were hot. I it's hard to say like which one was the best. It had to either be like TLC's. It could be their second album. Of course, my bias makes it Tony's first album. Then you got Outkast. It's oh my gosh, really hard to pick. But it's got to be between those three. I mean, those are three classic acts right there between them probably five classic albums i found it interesting that you told me they didn't even talk about donnell jones in the book who's you know our boy and a personal favorite of mine what's up with that yeah they they didn't it was weird they talked about tlc outcast um usher uh who else did they talk about pink avril lavigne oh they also talked about future la reed said that uh Future makes soul music. So, I guess he is R&B. Well, L.A. Reid smokes um, some serious stuff if he thinks that's soul music, but I digress. <laughs> Mask Off is not a soul song. Ooh. What about Pebbles, Ed? Do you like Pebbles? Pebbles was fine. Pebbles is one of those artists that seems like when people mention her, People kind of like, well, she's kind of infamous now because of the situation with TLC. But I feel like people kind of put her on a higher plane than she was. Because she's very fondly remembered, but only for like a couple songs. So she was good, but I don't think she reached anywhere near the legendary status some Pebble fans like to throw her into. So it's fine. Damn. Um... So that is the early 90s for you guys. Um, we don't know who is best between Jimmy Jam, Terry Lewis, Babyface, Hillary, or Teddy, Teddy Riley. So we're going to leave it up to you guys. Let us know in the comments who you guys think is the best, and we will debate on it some more next week. Now, I want to get into our special topic here. This actually comes from our boy Gaetano. He wanted to ask or provide us or allow us to provide you guys with an outlook of R&B in five years and what we think R&B will look like in five years. And Tom, I know you've been waiting on this discussion for a long time, so what will R&B look like in five years? Uh, no, I just think it's going to continue following hip-hop. I mean, people keep saying, oh, we're bringing real R&B back, but like I said, every single podcast probably, the traditional R&B we're used to is never coming back in the mainstream. Ever. No. Ed, you can disagree. Ed, I think you did disagree no, I, with me at one point. Well, I do disagree in some level, but because I do think it's cyclical, and I think that when you hear people like Bryson Tiller, they're trying to bring it back in some ways. But I don't. I do agree that R and B won't sound like it used to sound overall. For instance, like in the '90s, because I lived through this in the '90s, I lived through this in the 2000s when these artists were changing the game there are a lot of people that were like this isn't r&b this doesn't sound like my 
Luther album from 1981. And R&B doesn't sound like that anymore. But a lot of the elements from that do are kind of like, whether it's samples, whether it's the vocal arrangements, whereas people like just straight stealing his style. Sometimes that'll be present in newer sounds. The thing that bothers me about current R&B is that like everything is just sampling more hip hop than R&B. And that's kind of an issue. But I don't think it'll be totally invisible. It'll be elements of it there. But it's going to be hard to sound exactly like if you're expecting 1992 Kevin Kevin Campbell in 2019, <laughs> that ain't gonna happen. <laughs> but think about these, this younger generation. It's like I could see someone trying to come out with a ballad or come out with a love song and being just ridiculed and roasted on Twitter and face. And Facebook oh, I agree. And Instagram. <laughs> so that's just the the way. That's just the like the perspective now on love in general. And, you know, you hear what they're talking about in the music, and I don't see how you could change that unless you have a whole bunch of different Kendrick Lamar type people who really want to make a difference and are able to. I just don't know if that's ever going to happen. I don't know if it'll happen for R&B. It'll take an artist that's like a once-in-a-lifetime talent to come out of nowhere, just kind of hit big, and then everybody just kind of steal from that person. But one thing that we forget to mention is that it also takes a label behind that person to push it. Because if you look at in hip-hop, kind of like a Chance the Rapper, and everybody talks about how he's doing all this great stuff and he's unsigned. Player, let me give you that real. Chance might be unsigned, but he still has some heavy hitters in his corner that is pushing him forward. Because there is no way that you would get that many Grammy nominations if you just selling CDs out the back of your car. Like, that's just not the way it works. So if there's an artist that comes out that is special, that tries doing some different stuff, people like it, they get somebody behind them, and it's pushed, there could be change that happens. That was one thing I was a little excited about with her, because it was clear that her had some help from some big hitters, and we saw when that first EP dropped, there were random people from Alicia Keys to... Tyrese that was sharing this thing and it helped push her music along. So, I mean, of course she didn't reach the Kendrick Lamar level, but if you can get an artist that has a big, big name pushing their stuff and they got some talent, maybe we'll see change. Or we can just copy everybody else and be watered down hip-hop. Like That's probably most likely to happen. Here's my question, and I'm glad you brought it up in terms of a major label backing and pushing the artist. Here's an interesting question for you guys, um, something that I read on the internets. Someone said that some of our favorites from the 2000s, and they listed names like Ashanti, Keisha Cole, uh, for some reason Maya was talked about as well, and A. Marie. Would you guys agree that they are, number one, more talented, and number two, do they make better music? than some of the current female R&B acts out, like a SZA, like a Tinashe, like a Kalani. Like, because we look at those 2000s artists in such mystique, but do you believe some of that was because the major labels pushed them to that, to that hype, to that height, or do you think there is a distinction in talent? Mm, that's a great question, and I don't think it's one that's cut and dried as that group is better than that group because I think a lot of SZA stuff is well written and better written than 
Amory's stuff and good lord Ashanti's stuff oh. and some of the other stuff. But on the other hand, like you said, those artists had the the advantage of being able to be pushed in a time where R and B was still somewhat prevalent on mainstream radio. Like all those artists you mentioned had big, big hits. And these new artists that you mentioned, like a Kalani and and a um Sizzle, like they're fine, but I don't know if they're getting the mainstream push. So it seems like if you came up on the two thousands artists, it seems like they're lesser artists because they aren't pushed as much. Their stuff isn't out there. You're not hearing on the radio. One thing it's not like one thing that was playing twenty four seven, three sixty five. So the radio kind of brainwashes us into thinking stuff is better than it is. And don't get me wrong, I love one thing. It's one of my favorites. But as far as an overall artistry, I think that some of these guys got them. Sizzle's an actual artist to me. And I think that she, I would put her above an Ashanti and an A. Marie. Maybe even Keisha Cole. Like, I, I have no problem saying it. I'm not saying her music is better. But as far as her ability to do different things, yep. I have to agree with Ed about the talent. I mean, if you think about it, you named some artists from the early 2000s who weren't necessarily even writers or musicians. But you know Tanache came out as a writer. You know, she wrote all her own music. And I think she's really talented. The unfortunate thing is she's struggling to find her lane. But if she had come out in the early 2000s, she might have been a huge star, you know, in that same lane as Ashanti. So who's to say she's any less talented, for example? Actually, you guys bring up a... She's a great example. Yeah, you guys just reminded because me. Because I um, think you guys just reminded me on Twitter. Someone had mentioned how they enjoy this generation's uh, male artists, such as Kevin Ross, Roe James, and um, who else was it? Luke James. They enjoyed those artists more than the previous generation, which was to me that was my generation. That was the golden era. That was the Mario's and the Trey songs and the Chris Browns. They kind of enjoy these new artists more because they're more focused on the artistry and the music side of things. It's interesting. Yeah, and I think that you were seeing some artists, and that's the frustrating thing when I get, when you see me on Twitter and you follow me on Twitter and I'm fussing with people about people saying, oh, R&B is dead and there's no more good R&B. There are tons of talented artists out here that, and they're not, you don't have to look that hard to find them. If you follow Soul and Stereo or you know I got Soul, we are literally telling you every day the songs you need to be listening to. And there's some talented stuff out there. And some of these people in a different generation would be huge stars. And unfortunately, because there's just not a machine behind them, they seem like lesser stars. And at the end of the day, they probably were better than some of the bigger name artists. I Those are three great examples because those dudes are doing it. Mm-hmm. Well, it'll be interesting to see what happens in five years, but... Let's go back to current times and let's talk about this R&B Hall of Fame thing that we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks. Caused a lot of controversy. I've got two more for you guys today. I believe it's my turn to, my turn to actually nominate someone, but we're going to start off with the fan nomination. This one is one that's been long overdue. Um, someone had actually asked us about this a while ago, but I just forgot to do it. Someone wanted us to nominate my Canadian... Sister Tamia. Oh. Ooh. Wait, did we, did we put Faith Evanson? No, we didn't, right? No. 
Well, let, before we get in, let me introduce Tamia to everyone. Yes, please uh, do that, because this is a tough one. Um, she's Canadian, as I mentioned earlier. Um, she's married to Grant Hill. And she has one of the nicest voices in R&B. She's been in the game since, what was it, 98, is it? And she's consistently put out solid R&B albums. She was one of the first bigger names to go independent as an R&B artist and actually did pretty well for herself. Latest album, Love Life, is an album that we all like. She went back on a major. She went on Def Jam and released that. That was an album we really liked. So, I mean, Tamiya's put out some solid music. I don't think she's ever reached the heights of some of her... Um, you know competitors but she's always kept it consistent and she's always kept it classy i'm gonna say no and here's why i think oh to me let me say is one of my favorite artists love her voice and her music uh, but i think she made a decision that music was not going to be her priority now if she would have put it as her main focus and had more of a catalog i mean she does have what six albums in her 20 years but I felt always like she kind of kept herself away or didn't fully put herself into music. She stayed with her or her family, had children, which is great. And that's allowed some other artists to build up more of a, a catalog and some bigger hits. But I'm not taking away from her catalog, but like we didn't put Faith Evans in, we didn't put Monica in. I think she's more in that category than of a, of a Tony Braxton, in my opinion. So that's where I, what I'd say. Ed? Oh, oh man. This is another tough one. And believe it or not, y'all, I got to agree with Tom. And let me tell you why. Because I feel like this is the same conversation that we had with Faith Evans. Another one of my all-time favorite artists. I have said that Tamiya's debut, if I was reviewing albums in 1998, would have gotten five stars. It is that good. I think every album she's had has been four or four and a half stars. She even is a new phenomenal day? voice. Hold on, even the second album? Yes, I would give that a four Wait. easily. What Wait, about what? More? More was great. I didn't think More was that good, honestly. I think that was her worst album, in my opinion. That's probably her worst album, but it was still great. We are talking about, um, yeah, More is the um, officially missing you album, right? Yep. Yep. Which, by yeah. the way, has Lots the saddest... That has the saddest, well, I mean, Officially Missing You is sad, but it has the second saddest song of all time, Smile, written by Babyface. Yes. <laughs> that one's up there. Man, Into You, like, that bangers on that album. Anyway, but back to the combo. I love her. I love her talent. I love her voice. The thing that's missing from her is just overall influence, and that's something that Although we love these artists, it's going to hurt a lot of people going forward into the Hall of Fame. Because even though we really like them and they've given us great work and songs that we've been playing for 10, 15, 20 years in some cases. When you look at their overall impact on the game, sometimes that impact isn't strong enough. And for you to be in a Hall of Famer, you had to do something game changing. And I don't think that... Tamiya did anything game changer and that's nothing against her as an artist and certainly nothing against her great discography because it's banging but she just doesn't have that impact that some of the bigger names had and Tom is right she lands right in that Faith Evans Monica feel where they're just great well remembered well respected 
but just slightly missing out on the impact. So now yeah, that's a no for me too, even though it's heartbreaking. I mean, it's a no for me as well, but I mean, we can't downplay, and this is something that I don't think people realize, but the two independent projects that she put out, Between Friends and Beautiful Surprise, they both did pretty well on the charts. And this was before yes, the they whole... Yes, they did, and they were great. Yeah. So, I mean, that's something that people need to definitely remember. I think she got nominated for Best R&B Album for Beautiful Surprise, so... I mean, Tamia's been doing her thing. One of my favorites. She's one that whenever she drops a new song, I'm always hyped for the new album because it never disappoints. But no Hall of Fame for Tamia, unfortunately. So it's 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 time for my nomination. Um, remember, guys, we got Brandy into the Hall of Fame already, so I'm good. But <laughs> it's my turn again, and this time... I want to nominate, and this guy just put out a documentary the other day. He's been oh the fa- he's been the face of R&B for many many years now. Uh, he's also related to one Ed Bowser who's on this podcast uh, right now. <laughs> With hits such as "Run It," "Kiss Kiss," "With You," <laughs> and Tom's favorite song, "These Hoes Ain't Loyal," I'd like to nominate Christopher Maurice Brown. Oh my god. Let me ask you a serious question. How many timeless hits does this guy have? I am and I'm not and listen, I am not gonna be even though we're talking about family here, I am pretty unbiased when it comes to talking about old cousin Chris. But I will say, I wouldn't call him timeless, but he definitely has some memorable songs there. That is the least of his problems. Well, I was more so saying how many hits were just for the moment and how many were actually songs that will stand the test of time. Like, when you play Loyal in 20 years, it's gonna he can't even perform that, sh- that song in 20 years. I mean, it's oh, just no, going to sound so not. horrible. So, what I mean is, like, more so that. I mean, you go ahead. You state your case. Who, me or Tom? I'm or Kyle. You go. Because I'm going to need some Ed. time to process. All right, Kyle, defend, you want to... Co- well, no, let's let Ed defend his cousin on this one. <clears throat> Why do I have to defend my dumb old cousin? All right. Listen, when it comes to sales and when it comes to impact to an R&B in this generation, for the past 10 or so years, probably a little over that, probably 12, 13 years... Like it or not, he's been the face of R&B. He has platinum success all over the place. And he has been, of course, compared to Michael Jackson just because of the dancing. And he has successfully crossed over into pop. And this is just, if we just over, if we stick strictly to the music and overlook his extracurricular activities, which is making my veins bulge out of my head just thinking about it. But if we're looking at just his impact when it comes to R&B, if you name someone, if you go to someone probably under 20 and ask them to name a male R&B singer, nine times out of ten, they're going to say Cousin Chris because he is the standard bearer right now, especially for that generation. However, even though he has been the standard bearer, and I would say he has been influential Playing his songs are some hot garbage. It's been some garbage albums. Even though they sold well, them things have been whack. 
This probably I don't think I've rated a Chris Brown album higher than three and a half stars. And his <laughs> debut is like the best by far. Like it's like on another league compared to these albums. Most of these albums are unlistenable. But if we're going by influence, if we're going on sales, he should be in there. But I'm saying no because so much of his impact his like biggest hits have been more pop anyway, so that's gonna be my out. Plus, I don't want to put him in because it gives him my last nerve. So no, dude. If you put him in, I was about to tear up the whole grilled chicken studios <laughs> real quick. <laughs> but listen, I'm being an unbiased reviewer because I am unbiased. <laughs> but huh? this is kind of what I was talking to Kyle about last last podcast. I think it was. Um, it's almost like it's not fair to categorize this stuff. Like it's not fair to put him in the same category as a Charlie Wilson. They're not making the same music, you know. So it's almost like R and B has become such a generic term. We like to place everything in a box that sings. But I don't think they're all the, really the same genre. These artists that are making music. So that's my outlook on it. Well, it's always been like that, and that's always kind of been the struggle because. It always, I always laugh on Twitter when people have their arguments about who is R&B and who isn't. Because they're like, Janet is R&B. Like, 90% of Janet's stuff is pop. She made like two R&B albums. The rest of her stuff is pop. R&B fans claim Michael Jackson and he outright said he's the king of pop. But then there'll be R&B artists that we don't like. Like, we get mad at Robin Thicke because he does dumb stuff. And they're like, oh, he isn't R&B anymore. Well, yeah, he is. You just don't like him anymore. So I think there are different levels of R&B. There is the more traditional sound that a Charlie Wilson has, and then there's a more youthful sound, because Jodeci don't sound like Charlie Wilson, and he doesn't sound like Missy when she does R&B. There are different levels, but when we're talking about Chris Brown, most of his most successful stuff has been pop and has been dance. Like That's where he really created the lane. And when we talk about R&B kind of losing its way and getting too dancey and too hip-hoppy, you can blame a lot of that on him because he was the one that, again, when we talk about influence, he was the one that was like, let's step away from the old sound and just make everything EDM. And there you go. Now we got Pitbull on every song. <laughs> um, Ed, on this podcast, we, we, we refer to Pitbull as Hitbull because he makes hits. I'm going to refer to you as Hitbull because you're about to get hit. <laughs> so Tom, I assume it's a no for you as well. Yeah, no, it's a that's a no. Oh. <laughs> he doesn't even try to explain it, just no. <laughs> I mean, well, just being unbiased, he has a very strong case to be in it. Like just being real. Well, well if one of us he didn't well, if what he didn't do anything to advance the genre though. I mean if you think about it. What did he do to all he did was tear it apart. Well, he advanced the giant, but that's but that's you know in the eye of the beholder. I agree, he tore it apart. But some people might say he was the only one that kept it relevant when it wasn't relevant anymore. It's like hip hop fans who are like Nicki Minaj is the only person who was keeping female rap alive. Like she was this because she was the only female rapper. Everybody else didn't have the stage, but she's garbage. So yes, he kind of did terrible things, but then he, again, he did advance it. So, again, it's an eye behold. I agree with you, though. He put us down this downward spiral, but the man is successful. 
Well, if one of us is going to be uh, sipping that good stuff and not that haterade, I guess it's going to be me. Oh, boy. Yeah, what good I say is that? Kool-Aid? Yep, it's Kool-Aid. <laughs> no, su- no sugar, though, because diabetes is bad for you. But... Uh, <laughs> oh, God. That's my State guy your right case, there. please. That's my boy. Oh, both of you are pitiful. How did this thing stay afloat while I was gone? <laughs> Let me just say this about Chris Brown. I mean, he's a yes for me because, first of all, his debut album is a modern-day classic. I don't care what either of you guys say. If we're talking about today's generation, that is a modern-day classic. My God. You aren't wrong, though. I've had a lot of people say that from your generation. A lot of people, that is like one of their classic albums. Yep. They're wrong, but proceed. the, The other thing you have to look at with Chris Brown is his longevity. Along with the amount of music he's put out over the years, he's on what album? Like, let me count here. I think he's on like album album eight now or album nine, and he's still. I mean, he slowed down. I think the last year and a half, but his run has been more remarkable than any artist I've seen, probably since Usher, to be honest. And the the one knock on Chris Brown for me, aside from the fact that he doesn't really have a classic album, maybe except his first one is you're right ed most of his bigger hits have been more poppy but i have a soft spot for him because every so often he'll put out a traditional r&b song and it'll be good and it'll actually do well on the charts like how many people can say that into in, in 2017 right. so i agree with you there i mean again i'm i'm with you ed he doesn't have a classic album but i mean this is a tough one for me this is chris brown I mean, he has a great argument to be in, but no, not on my watch. And we talk about, oh, he has a great discography and nine and ten albums. Well, if you got nine or ten albums and eight of them are doo-doo, that says more <laughs> about you than if you had three solid albums. And we always, we hear fans talk about, like, D'Angelo, who has, like, literally three albums. And we say, oh, well, he should have given us more. But I would take three solid albums and 17 garbage. Well, and then the last point I'll make, name another artist who's as versatile as Chris Brown, who can collaborate with Pitbull, to 50 Cent, to the Migos, to the great Aaliyah. Like, how many artists can do that? How many artists can make a record with Aaliyah in 2015 and 16? First of all, um, Aaliyah didn't have any choice in that collaboration. That's not I was oh. Please get him, Tom. Get, <laughs> get him, Tom, because I was about to get up in his rectum for that. Jeez. Did a song with Aaliyah. I can do a song with Aaliyah if I sing over Age Ain't Nothing But a Number, please. <laughs> can we hear that, please? No. No, we don't. <laughs> We're trying to retain listeners, not run them off. <laughs> All right. So, two nominations, no inductions. Tamia, tough blow to Canada, but you're not in. And sorry, Ed, VA will have to wait for another induction. We will be good as we slip our, sip our slurpees. We ain't worrying about those and Chris. <laughs> However, these two fine artists can now always go by the, the name R&B Hall of Fame nominee Chris Brown and Tamia. <laughs> what? What? <laughs> now, guys, we, ha- we have a bonus round because, Ed, you've been gone for two weeks. And we actually already put this, uh, this, this artist into the Hall of Fame while you were gone. The fans actually the, the fans actually inducted them. And it's H-Town. So... <laughs> 
Wait, H-Town is in the Hall of Fame? It happened. Yep. What kind of good... Oh, my gosh. But, this whoa, is whoa, what whoa. happens when parents leave the house <laughs> and the kids run them up. Now, we're giving you a chance here, Ed, to remove them from the Hall of Fame. And it'll be up to Tom and I to vote on it to see if they should stay in the Hall of Fame or if they shouldn't. Because... The fans made a very strong argument, and I'll share that argument with you after, but give us your case for why they should or should not be in the, in the Hall of Fame. I want to hear this argument they made, but ahead of that, listen, I like H-Town just fine. They came out in probably early 90s. I was like in middle school when they dropped. That freaking knocking the Boots was played 24-7, but... After that, they had like one album immediately after that. And I know that, unfortunately, they kind of had a rough go about it when Dino passed. And Dino was clearly going to be the breakout star. And you just knew he had a solo joint coming. But, player, they uh, 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 uh. When it comes down to it, they had like maybe three songs. Two albums that were okay. And a great lead who, unfortunately, is no longer with us. No. All right. Well, to counter that argument, one of our readers, when they were talking about H-Town in the Hall of Fame, their reason was H-Town is debatable, and the last four letters of debatable is able, so that's why we put H-Town into the Hall of Fame. But now that you've provided your (laughs) argument on it, Tom, is H-Town in the Hall of Fame? Absolutely not. In fact, we were just joking with you, Ed. We didn't vote them in. <laughs> no, we didn't. Why are you trying to give me a stroke on this podcast? <laughs> I will say, though, Part-Time Lover is like a top five R&B song of all time. You need to dial that back, player. It's all right. Jeez. <laughs> oh, come on. Devontae was singing on that song like No Tomorrow with that talk box. <laughs> the shout out to the Above the Rim soundtrack. Y'all are taking it back. Mm-hmm. Speaking of Devontae, I showed uh, Tom this the other day. Ed, we're going to have to book you. Have you been to Baltimore before? Of course. I've got Baltimore fam. Shout out to my Baltimore family. We need you to go to Baltimore in the coming weeks because apparently uh, Mr. Dalvin has a solo show at one of the venues over there. What exactly is Dalvin doing? Dalvin is like the white dude from All for One. What do you do? We need you to find out. <laughs> I don't know if I want to see a Mr. Dalvin show because I don't know if it's going to be singing or it's just going to be three hours of him picking up dry cleaning and chicken for the other group members. <laughs> yep. Um, now, now that you're back, Ed, we can get back into this uh, this love letters thing. Tom, what song are we doing this week? Uh, do we have time, Kyle? I know we're a little over an hour here. Let's just go with that and then let's just move on because I know... We got some heartbroken people out here. All right. Well, I have a good one lined up. Okay. Ready for this, Ed? I'm always ready. Let me set the scene for you real quick. You're out with your 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 wife, and you you're with your friend and his and his new girlfriend. You guys are just you know (laughs) having a good time. Uh, You go Mm -hmm. out to out to the out to a nice lounge. They have those down there, right? Um, I think that they have those down here. Please go ahead. (laughs) So anyway, it's your friend's um, girlfriend's birthday, right? Mm-hmm. 
So this is his game plan. <clears throat> Go girl, it's your birthday. Open wide, I know you're Thursday. Say uh Oh no. <laughs> Wait. And we don't buy no drinks at the bar. We pop champagne because we got that dough. Let me hear you say uh That's what he says to his girlfriend. And then you need to jump in and do something. First of all, there's just no <laughs> there are a couple lounges here that we frequent. And that ain't the lounge. That is the furnace. And the furnace is the strip club. Like, that's where this goes down. They are not doing this over at my, my boys at the wine loft. This is straight up furnace. Anyway. who boy. Now, first of all, why is this a double date? Why would I have to? So my wife is sitting there. And I got to sit there and watch my boy. We're going to put this in. Just to play along, I'm going to say that this friend is named Kyle. So, we've got this, my friend named Kyle, out with his girl. We're going to say her name is Ashanti. And he says, say, ah, and then he just pours liquor all over her weed. And then they Instagramming it. And then we're supposed to roll with this? I am supposed to be the mature married person. So, I'm supposed to be like, dude, you might not want to have your girl liquored up all over the Instagrams. I'm just trying to see where things went sure wrong do. in this combo. Because something went horribly wrong. <laughs> you got some cool friends there, Ed. <laughs> <laughs> I, ne- I think when that happens next time, I'll tell my friend Kyle and his poor, broken-hearted girl Ashanti that when they decide to come out with a new album, that they should use this as inspiration for their next song. And instead of the terrible song that this whole scenario is based off of, make a new song about how you will respect your woman and not drown her in liquor like she's some cheap model from the 90s. Now I'm trying to help your love life here, Kyle. The question is, well, would Ashanti leave Kyle after the situation went down? Or would there be another date? It depends what Ashanti's into. If she's into getting <laughs> drowned in public, then maybe it's all good. But if this is a surprise drowning, eh, mm-hmm. listen, them things, dry cleaning is expensive, and I'm sure liquor stinks. Like, you're going to be messing up her nice dress. Well, this is the furnace. Yeah. You can kind of wear whatever in there, so. She might have on one of them Target specials and be all right. <laughs> wow. So the biggest concern is the is the dry cleaning. Not even the classless notion of just popping bottles and pouring it into a girl's mouth. Well, it depends who's picking up the bill. You know if what, though, got guys? It, maybe we are. If I got to pay for it, no, everyone the today stops there, player. Got Literally. some education on life from VA's finest, Ed Bowser. Right. And I also get some music advice from VA's finest, Trey songs. Like, what can go wrong here? No, we don't, because we're way over an hour now. So <laughs> what can go wrong with Trey Song? Do we have another hour for podcast, this podcast? So Miss Superwife wanted to brighten up the mood. She asked us quickly, and you know we'll go we'll go around table here. What's your favorite song to play when you're happy? What 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 keeps you guys uplifted and happy, Tom? He, I can't just be put on the spot with that one. I gotta think about that one. Yeah, yeah same here. That's not really 
there's not one that like really pops to mind that makes me happy. Now I can throw on anything from the collection of Mr. Keith Sweat, and that will mm. get my vocals warmed well, up, and I will get very happy up in my car as I'm hitting no these highways. So, so maybe that'll be my hit. Anyways, um... <laughs> wow! What a sad life Ed, you have. Ed, I think I know what yours is though. There's a song that comes to mind for you, actually. Do you mind if I say it? Well, I might, but go ahead. <laughs> Frankie, Beverly, and Maze Before I Let Go. Listen, player, yes. That one gets my old man <laughs> juices flowing. All the way back from 1981. Yes, wow. I will. That is the cookout anthem. Anywho, uh, I don't care. Ed, what's going on with Someone Stereo? I know you're behind on everything right now, but what can we look forward to with Someone Stereo? <laughs> Yeah, your boy's been behind on everything, but Soul and Stereo continues to roll even when the boss is out of town. So, the things that we've been focusing on the past couple weeks, since we are already well into June, you know, our kind of music calendar year kind of hits from November till November each year. So, we're at the halfway point. So, stop by Soul and Stereo because we're talking about the 10 best R&B albums and the 10 best hip-hop albums of the year so far. So we'll have those, both of those lists of posts that you can check out and see what you've missed and see what I've missed because I'm sure you'll tell me if there's something I missed. Um, with the R&B list, though, one thing to keep in mind is I did not hear Molly in full by the time that was posted. So that list will exclude Molly music, and I'm sure he'll probably make the year-end list. I also didn't hear Wale, but I'm pretty sure he didn't need to be on the hip-hop list anyway. So check those out. Um, I also got some emails from some people like, what's up with love letters, player? I'm on it. We got new love letters coming, hopefully in the next week or so. The pile is getting gigantic, but I will get to those very soon. And hopefully by the end of the week, we'll have a review of Big Boy's new album, which, judging by the singles, should be pretty good. One of the most underrated acts. And I Tom, think, you know I got hip-hop. slow. You Just already mentioned Boy, earlier so that it's pretty slow right now. Lots of solo serial stuff to check out. Yeah, like I said, it's been a snooze fest, and I really need some new music. Actually, uh, Ed, we called out John B. last week for not putting out any new music, so I think we should just keep calling out artists until they release music. How about that? Because I, I need some new music from people. It's getting crazy. Well, I would not mind a new John B. song, so anything that we can get to get that dude back in the studio is cool with me. Well, that just reminded yeah, like me that Like I said, it's been a slow week, so there's not really much going on. Tonight. Uh, seventh, I anything believe. with you, Kyle? Seven, seven, seventeen. So, and that's actually her birthday as well. So, finally, we're getting a Seven Streeter album, but we'll talk about that next week because we're way over an hour, and I don't know what's going on right now. So, anyway, we are out of here. Chris Brown is not in the Hall of Fame. I might have to doctor up this audio so that he is in the Hall of Fame, but only time <laughs> will tell. Anyways, we are out of here. Kyle, Ed, and Tom signing out. Peace. <laughs> Peace. All right.